AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, Billy Jean is not my lover. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm I'm Lauren Volkelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And that sound of disapproval is to the terrible quote that I chose to start this episode. We're talking about gene therapy. I get the pun now. Right, Billy Jean therapy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so gene therapy, uh, Billy Jean therapy is when you have to listen to, to Michael Jackson songs until you feel better. But That's a good therapy. It's a good therapy. I, I don't mind that at all. It's, uh, it's, uh, the dancing cure. Yeah. Now gene therapy is, uh, something that has incredible potential, but definitely had a rocky start. And, uh, you know, if you don't really know that much about DNA and genes or chromosomes, if all that confuses you, go back and listen. We, we recorded a podcast immediately before this one, should have published just before this podcast did, that goes into sort of gene 101. And so, uh, listen to that one so you can get caught up. We're going to be pushing on right now talking about gene therapy, which is a, an attempt to treat genetic diseases at the molecular level. So you're actually trying to address 
molecules that have some form of defective element to them and replace those with, quote-unquote, good molecules or good genes. So a good point of distinction maybe to start with would be um, how is this different than all of the normal ways we fight diseases? Well, a lot of the ways we fight diseases, there's, of course, ways where we just try and treat symptoms. Right. Where we're not actually addressing the underlying problem, possibly because there may not be a way of addressing right. the underlying problem. Or you're just letting your body do the work a lot exactly. of the times maybe. And, and you're just trying to make yourself feel better while that happens. For example, if you have a cold there is no cure for the common cold, right? But there are lots of different ways you can uh, treat your symptoms and try to manage symptoms to have different levels of efficacy, depending upon whom you ask. But that's one way of doing it. Or, for example, if you take an antibacterial medication to try to clear something out of your system, that's attacking those bacteria that are attacking your your body in some way, shape, or form. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's another way where you're actually trying to fight off some sort of quote-unquote alien invasion, but yeah. alien in the sense of it doesn't belong inside of you. Uh, your body uses antibodies, right, mm-hmm. which are proteins that attack foreign cells. Yep. Or sometimes its own cells, depending on how your immune system is functioning. Right, right. Yeah. There are cases where you have things like allergic reactions, where your body goes into overdrive trying to kill something that doesn't actually need to be killed. I speak from terrible, terrible experience. Uh, so... These are all normal or quote unquote normal ways that we use to to fight off illnesses. But some illnesses, genetic illnesses, have to do with actual information that's in our DNA that is defective. Uh, genes that are uh, encoded the wrong way and therefore are not producing the proper proteins the right way for certain processes. And there's lots of different types of genetic diseases uh, that cover a wide range. So we're not going to go and talk about all of them because that, that's, that alone would be a series of podcasts. But one common element here is that these diseases have these these faulty genes at the very core of the problem. And if we were somehow able to remove the faulty genes from our cells and insert good, healthy genes in their place, we could uh, end up possibly curing the disease. Or if we could figure out how to um, turn on or off a gene that is doing the opposite thing. Right, right. And keep in mind, genes, you know, we didn't talk about this in the last podcast, but it does bear uh, saying it, I think. Genes are complicated, right? So, you know, you can... We didn't say that? Well, well, in the sense... I think we did. In the sense of, like, if you think think of genes like a switchboard, all right? Mm -hmm. So think about a switchboard where every single switch is connected to a an LED light. So you've got a bank of LED lights, and you've got a bank of switches, and when you turn on a switch, an LED light comes on. And then when you turn it off, the LED light goes off. If that's all genes were, we'd be set. That would be so easy to fix. But what actually happens is you have to flip like seven random switches all across the board to make the light come on. Right. And if you and turn- it also turns a few other lights on and it also yeah. makes a weird quacking noise. <laughs> yeah. Right. We're back to the platypus. If you, and if you turn, if you turn one switch off, maybe the quacking noise goes off and three of the lights go off, but then five more lights come on. It's so complex and it's only, and it's within this, uh, this, uh, net work of genes and how they all express themselves, keeping in mind that some genes can express themselves in multiple ways. That's why it's it's not so easy as just say, you know, 
turn that one switch. And then to we off. push the button. Yeah. 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 The the word for what all of the genes produce together is the phenotype. That, right. That's sort of the external expression of when you've got all the switches switched on. Mm-hmm. And so the goal of gene therapy is to address these faulty genes and to fix them in a way that is not harmful to the patient. Uh, which can also be very difficult because again, it's really complex. Sometimes when you're, when you think you're fixing one thing, you might be actually creating a much larger problem or maybe just a different problem. And I've got some really interesting examples that are terrifying about that. Can't wait to get to that. So, um, let's talk a little bit about mutations. You know, how, how do genes mutate in the first place? Uh, and there's actually quite a few ways. First of all, when you're talking about genes, you're talking about this, this, data, essentially, that's encoded in DNA. And that data gets copied over and over and over again. During cellular division, you get copies of your DNA. Uh, and sometimes changes happen when these copies, sometimes sometimes mistakes are made, so, so to speak. So it's kind of like, you know, if you were to ever make a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy on a photocopier, you know, that final copy doesn't look as good as that original one. In a very basic way, that's kind of similar to what I'm talking about here. Uh, also, environmental factors can cause changes to your genes. So radiation, or- right? Or, or even you know what what chemicals are in the food you eat, the water you drink, or the other stuff that you drink. You know, all sorts of stuff. Uh, think things like stress can affect your genes mm-hmm. to some extent. So. You know, there are a lot of different factors here. It's very, very complex. And most of those changes that are going to happen are going to happen in um, somatic cells, in, in your bodily cells, not in your um, sex chromosome cells that are, are passed on to, or, or your chromosomes, period, that are passed on to your children. Um, that's that's a epigenetics, and that's a whole different whole different issue. But but some of the changes can lead to, uh, like we talked about in our stress Right, episode. some of them can can potentially be inherited. Whether or not that ends up expressing itself in offspring is another question. So one interesting thing I think about inherited genetic diseases is that, for the most part, they're recessive. So in order for you to have uh, a full expression of a genetic disease, you have to have uh, inherited two copies of the mutated gene to really inherit the disorder. When you think about it, this isn't that surprising, right? You, you wouldn't you wouldn't expect for most genetic diseases to be in dominant genes because uh, in in any species, because if it were a dominant expression, then those those life forms, whatever creature you're talking about, most of them probably wouldn't get to an age where they could reproduce, and that gene would eventually phase its way out of the overall population. But if it's a recessive gene, then not that many, comparatively speaking, will uh, display this or will express this gene, this trait, this uh, this whatever the genetic disease is. Um, so it can actually continue to exist within a population longer than it would if it were a dominant gene. So that I thought was really interesting. But let's let's talk about kind of the history of gene therapy itself. So. We've kind of defined why it could be potentially really helpful in the fields of medicine. Uh, it was back in 1972 uh, when there was a paper that was authored by a parent, uh, Friedman and Roblin, who the, the pair wrote a paper called uh, Gene Therapy for Human Genetic Disease? Because they were actually asking the question, could gene therapy potentially address this? And they proposed replacing defective DNA with good, quote-unquote, DNA. Uh, they also cited the first attempts at gene therapy experiments going back all the way to 1970. Now, this paper was written in 72. 
Uh, and in fact, other sources I saw said that the experiments that happened in the 70s and 80s were in large part unauthorized trials, mm. uh, which uh, that leads to some pretty serious setbacks in gene therapy. As I, When I get up into the 90s, I'll talk more about that. Um, but gene therapy isn't as far along as it potentially could be, I think, in part because of some over-enthusiastic but perhaps misguided trials. And so in, in 1985, uh, labs that were in the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute and in the National Cancer Institute conducted experiments which showed uh, cells from a patient with ADA deficiency. Uh, that's adenosine deaminase deficiency, which affects the immune system's ability to fight off infection. Those could be corrected in a tissue culture using a retrovirus to insert corrected genes into the cells. And this is actually still how they're mostly proposing to do gene therapy, right? Well, it's, virus. It's, it's one of the ways. Uh, viruses have some issues, but viruses are really good at penetrating cells. I mean, that's what uh-huh. they do in order to replicate, right? Mm-hmm. And we've said before that sometimes it makes more sense not to try and copy or outdo Mother Nature, but to just Use it. Yeah, co-opt what Mother Nature's already doing, right? If you take a virus and you strip out all the stuff that makes it dangerous, essentially its ability to self-replicate and any other uh, uh, information that would otherwise alter your cells, and then put in the stuff you want to have injected into a cell and then uh, introduce that into the the tissue or patient – then it does the work for you. Yeah, I mean, it's a perfect machine. A virus is, is a machine designed to inject DNA into foreign cells. Right. Now, there are some problems. Uh, first of all, I mean, there's everyone's always worried about the idea of using viruses in the first place, especially if they don't understand a lot about how viruses work. But it's also not ideal for every situation. For example, if you want to treat something that is found in brain tissue, a virus is a bad idea because viruses are too large to penetrate the blood-brain barrier. So you've got to find something that's even smaller than a virus, your typical virus, to be able to penetrate that barrier to deliver the good DNA to uh, brain tissue. They are developing, um, I think that they are currently developing some methods uh, specifically with Parkinson's disease that, yes. that may use uh, viruses. But there, there's a, the, the main approach I've seen is using uh, liposomes and mm. creating uh, essentially a plastic coating for liposomes that would allow it to move through the blood-brain barrier effortlessly compared to Hmm. most viruses, which would not be able to penetrate it. They're also playing with different kinds of viruses these days. I think originally uh, retroviruses were what were being used, and these days um, uh, lentiviruses Mm -hmm. are being used. Uh, Things like um, HIV, actually, that have a really long incubation period and can infect non-dividing cells. Mm. So it winds up doing... Continue. Continue right, with your timeline. Back line. to the history. Right. So we, we've got this this retrovirus that was used in this early experiment in 1985. They showed that it, it could be done. In 1986, uh, they began to experiment to introduce correct genes into bone marrow cells in animals to see how safe it would be as a treatment. So they're using the animal's actual bone marrow cells to deliver good, quote-unquote, DNA. And the conclusion was that it was safe, but... They didn't get the correct gene to enough cells for it to be considered effective. So in other words, bone marrow just wasn't the right vector for delivering this kind of treatment. Uh, it, it worked, but not on a level that would have created enough change for it to be a, a good treatment. So in 1988, they try uh, white blood cells instead of bone marrow cells. 
And that increased the number of cells that were affected. So they thought, aha, here, we're on to something. Uh, and in 1989, there was an experiment with tumor-infiltrating lymphocytes, TIL cells, that uh, showed that using a virus to insert DNA material would be a safe form of treatment. Now, this experiment was more about inserting a DNA marker into TIL cells. It wasn't about putting in good DNA. It was about identifying this cell as a TIL cell. But the one of the other pieces of information they got was, oh, well, this could work for other applications beyond just marking a cell. We might be able to actually do gene therapy using this approach. So September 14th, 1990, the National Institutes of Health treated a four-year-old girl with uh, ADA deficiency. They also treated a nine-year-old girl with ADA deficiency. And this was one of the first approved trials for gene therapy. <laughs> so this approach was... Not incredibly effective at first, although the last information I could find, both patients are leading uh, normal lives now. They do, do not have this ADA deficiency uh, apparently anymore, but the the delivery methods have improved significantly since 1990. Uh, there was actually very few successes in early gene therapy experiments all the way f- through the 80s into the 90s, and that was one of the reasons why gene therapy took had a real rough go in the early days, right? Not a big surprise. We're talking about something incredibly sophisticated that we have admittedly only a, you know, a sliver of understanding. Like there's so much we don't know about genes. Right. And we hadn't mapped the human genome until uh, 2003. Right. So it's, it's not a big surprise that, it took a while because we were still learning about what we were doing while we were doing it. Um, in 1992, Dr. Claudio Bordenon of the Vida Salute San Rafael University in Milan uh, experimented with gene therapy delivery systems using uh, hematopoietic stem cells to deliver genes. So now we're trying other methods. The stem cells was a another vector. Uh, in 1993, researchers used gene therapy to treat babies who had ADA deficiency. And uh, moving up to 1999, this was this was a terrible year for gene therapy and was a terrible tragedy as well. So there have been very there have been a lot of trials, very few successes, uh, but the entire discipline of gene therapy suffered a serious setback because uh, there was a patient who was undergoing gene therapy to treat a liver disease at the University of Pennsylvania. That patient's name is Jesse Gelsinger. Jesse Gelsinger uh, died during the trial, and it was the first death attributable to gene therapy. That led to increased scrutiny of gene therapy programs across the entire world, and a lot of conclusions were drawn that many, not not all, but many of these trials did not follow terribly rigorous standards or perhaps were not designed in the most ethical manner. The the desire to try and be the first to uh, to have a working gene therapy might have been guiding people to act recklessly, particularly with the, the lives or well-being of patients. And it raised a lot of criticism about gene therapy in general. So even the people who were following very stringent, strict scientific processes and being as ethical as possible 
were brought under the the microscope. And there were a lot of questions about when is it actually acceptable to move from the experimental stage where you're working on some isolated tissue or you're working with an animal, not a human being, uh, and then move that to human trials. When is that actually an acceptable moment in gene therapy? And the whole thing kind of brought the discipline to a crawl for a couple of years. And there's still a lot of scrutiny there, obviously, because you know, this is this is potentially very useful, but also very dangerous type stuff. In 2002, researchers at Case Western Reserve University and Copernicus Therapeutics created the liposomes. Uh, the there were 25 nanometers across, so a nanometer is one billionth of a meter. 25 nanometers. That's incredibly tiny. And that they wanted to use to carry therapeutic DNA through pores in the nuclear membrane. And that same year, sickle cell disease was treated in mice using gene therapy for the first time and shown that that could be an effective treatment. Uh, 2003, the University of California used liposomes coated in polyethylene glycol. That's what I was talking about earlier, the PEG material, which uh, that was determined to be a good vector for delivering gene therapy to the brain because, again, most viruses, not all, but most viruses are too large to penetrate the, the blood-brain barrier. And then in 2006, National Institutes of Health used gene therapy to treat melanoma and showed for the first time that gene therapy could be a viable treatment for cancer. Now, that's the history lesson. Let's talk about what's going on kind of uh, around that time to more recent. I want to stress that uh, when I look at information about gene therapy, I still very often see phrases like last resort. Right. I think that usually these experiments and, and this research that's going on is on children with terrible fatal diseases. Yes. And and so frequently it is it is a last resort. Right. Yeah, and, it, I, and it's just well, I just wanted to stress that. Sure. Despite the fact that uh, we have moved past some of these early days, like there's still a whole lot of caution about it. And there should be. I mean, because, again, we, there's still so much we don't understand that that it needs to, we need to have caution not only just to be ethical and safe and give the patient as good a chance at, at recovery or, or treatment as possible, but also just so we keep our own expectations in check and we don't sit there and think, oh, if I just change out this one little strand of information within this person's cells, everything's going to be fine. Uh, it's, it's important to realize that there's so much we don't know that we have to proceed with caution because until we know all that information, we could potentially do more harm than good in our treatment. Yeah, well, one of the uh, interesting studies I found was related to vaccines. Yeah. So right right now, a vaccine is pretty much always preferable as the way to prevent somebody from contracting a disease. Sure. But what about in the case of a disease where we just can't get a reliable vaccine, mm -hmm. like HIV? Mm -hmm. um, now, the human immunodeficiency virus, it's difficult to create a vaccine because of the structure of the virus. Uh, antibodies have to recognize elements on the external structure of a virus mm -hmm. um, to... In order to, to want to attack it. Yeah, to, to recognize it and prevent it. Um, but... HIV is kind of stealth. It doesn't have those external structures gotcha. and it's difficult to recognize. Um, and so there's been all this difficulty creating a vaccine. But some recent research, uh, especially some stuff published in Nature in 2011, found that, well, uh, at least in a trial on mice, 
the immunodeficiency virus is susceptible to gene therapy that would prevent transmission. Hmm. Um, and so a gene therapy could be sort of like a preventative measure to keep you from contracting HIV. Of course, the trouble is, as with all these other cases we've been talking about, it's it's dangerous, basically. Right, mm-hmm. and, and there there are other diseases and conditions where we have little to no treatment right now. Like it may be that all we can do is treat some symptoms, but we can't treat anything that's underlying that. So everything from Parkinson's to Alzheimer's, the, these kind of a lot of blood uh, blood related genetic disorders. Right, the, the, a lot of these different genetic disorders, we really have no way of treating anything beyond some symptoms. In some cases, like in some, we don't even have ways of treating the symptoms necessarily. Absolutely. So that's one of those things that people are really looking at gene therapy as potentially being an, another attempt to uh, to treat something that otherwise we pretty much can only just try and, and, and increase the patient's comfort as much as possible because there's nothing else we can do. Um, and those cases, I think, are the ones that are going to have the most attention directed at them for the near term for gene therapy. Absolutely. Uh, I, I wanted to correct myself really quick, really quickly from, from earlier. Lentiviruses are a, um, a genus within the retrovirus family. Ah, but they, uh, but, but their, their specific properties are important. Gotcha. I was talking about them like they're two totally different things. That is, that is an untruth right there. I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> so in all these cases, uh, and especially because the science is still pretty preliminary, we're talking about last resort. We're mm-hmm. talking about it, it's still something we're not very sure about, and we would only use in cases where there's no other option, really. Right. Uh, but what if we got a lot better at it? Sure. And like w- to the point where we can actually treat these diseases. Oh, yeah. Uh, people but- can lead healthy lives. These genetic disorders become a thing of the past. Yeah. I see the future you're painting. Right. So a future where gene therapy is just completely safe. It's run of the mill. It's it's like vaccines are today. So, you know, your chance of having a, a problem is one in some huge number. And um, we're having a, a sporting stars cheating by having gene therapy to make their blood more oxygen absorbent. Exactly. Oh, whoa, whoa, well. whoa guys, you're you're like totally. I was I was right there in the happy future where everybody was <laughs> healthy, and now you're 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 twisting it. What's going on? Are you talking about gene doping? Gene doping. Tell me about gene doping, Lauren. Well, gene doping uh, doesn't exist right now. But what we're afraid could happen in some kind of terrible future is is that yes that, that that people would use gene therapy in order to you know do do the same kind of things that medications are that illegal medications in most sporting worlds are are used for now like the okay. whole blood doping stuff yeah mm-hmm. the phrase comes from blood doping which yeah. is where you you know you draw your own blood and you keep that out and store it let your body regenerate more to replace it and then right before the big race you shoot yourself back up with your blood so you've got extra red blood cells you can get even more oxygen. To your muscles, your Superman. Yeah, um, relatively but, speaking. Yeah, but uh, what if instead of all that, you could alter your genes? Oh, right. Just- There's a gene called um, erythropoietin. I think I got that right in one. We're going to go with it. Um, awesome. EPO that regulates how many red blood cells are created in your body. And um, and when it's functioning normally, it'll shut off when you've got enough. But if you wanted a few more in there to, to up boost your, your oxygen athletic le- ability, yeah. yeah. You know, un- unfortunately, in, in trials, it's difficult to get them to turn off once you've turned them on. And then you just you're just like a blood sprinkler, a crazy blood bag. Wow. Bad wow. times. I like, 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 you'd be bag. like a horny toad, just blood shooting out your eyes all the time. <laughs> like, 
Good it was, times. It was it was pretty it was pretty tragic. And and, and and many, you know, many other things can go terribly wrong, which is why we're not doing this right now. Well, but. Okay, but so gene doping this paints a uh, it's it's a merger of the, the the happy future we were talking about and this dystopian future. It's a future where you can mess with your genes, right? You uh, can just do stuff, right? So like beyond, in, like in Bioshock, you can just you know, yeah, yeah. yeah we're be- beyond beyond the ability to do things like determine what color eyes your children are going to have or what sex your child will be. Well, it would be that too, right? But, but you can also shoot bees out of your arms. <laughs> I think you might be going a little too far. Here we go. Here's where the X-Men come in. Uh, Okay. All right. I knew we were going to get there. I knew we were going to get to the X-Men. But honestly, I mean, we are talking about the potential in the future. Let's say that we have perfected, as close as you can to perfecting anything anyway, uh, some gene replacement therapy or gene alteration to the point where we can genetically uh, modify human beings so that they are the best of the best. So before we get to X-Men territory, we're really talking about uh Kanuni and Song territory, Wrath of Khan type mm. stuff. These these are the these are the people who were genetically engineered to be intelligent and strong. They were uh, meant to be warriors to to end up uh ending a conflict and then once the conflict's over, what do they do next? Then we shoot them into space. So I mean there's that that future, but you're talking about even going beyond that. Let's say that that's even a possibility where we're able to make people the quote unquote the best people they could be based upon uh, the genetic information they carry inside them. You're talking about going even further than that and giving people abilities that are not even human, right? Yeah. Well, okay. So this raises a problem I have with the X Men. Okay, this is one problem you have with the X Men, or this is the problem you have with the X Men. <laughs> it's, it's the main. It's an okay. So the X Men is the X Men. It is right. what it is. You know, because I. I, I could go on about that come out of my hands. I but, could go on about cable for hours. Okay, oh, let's not talk about the summers. <laughs> I can kind of see claws. I can kind of see it, like Santa like, Claus. Or? No claws, like adamantium. Kind of, oh, yeah. gotcha. Right. Like let's though that wasn't actually a mutation, right? No, when it was Wolverine not. got claws, but um, no, no, no. He he has bone claws. They were oh, coated in adamantium. Oh, okay. Yeah, his claws are actually oh. bone. Okay, we're good to go then. Ma- when Magneto stripped him of all of his adamantium skeleton, his bone claws remained. This is excellent. Okay. okay. <laughs> so I can actually kind of see claws. I mean, that seems like a long way off. Yeah. But it's it's within the realm of physical possibility. And that's the thing I want to uh, make a distinction about. Actually, there are two things. Um, one is physical possibility. I don't think Gambit makes any sense. Well, he has that really thick Louisiana accent. It's really hard to understand what he's saying. <laughs> the problem with Gambit <laughs> isn't that um, he has incredible powers. It's the, that the incredible power he has doesn't make sense in terms of physics. Sure. Yeah. Um, so you're saying that the ability to touch something and make it m- molecularly vibrate to the point where it explodes makes no sense. Yeah. It, I don't see how that could ever be a property of the human body. Yeah. No how could you, how different? How your could DNA you transfer was. that energy? in such a way like yeah there's no mechanism for it yeah uh, I would say probably the same thing about like shooting cold rays I mean that that just seems it's not necessarily so much that it's uh, a problem with DNA it's a problem with physics like how do you right. make rays of cold come out of your right. body we, we, we do not have 
the you know genesis for laser beams to shoot out of our eyeballs so or therefore it's unlikely magnet or being able to control magnetism i mean yes we all have an electric field light light living yeah. things create electric fields and electric fields can affect magnets because the electromagnetic effect there you know but uh, being able to control entire huge hunks of metal uh, well anyway all that yeah th- that's that's just yeah Bones, I can see. Bone claws, I can see. Uh, it it would be it would be very strange, but having weird bone claws that come out of your hand, okay, th- that seems like a more physically acceptable, or or even or, just or, having an incredibly heightened immune system. Uh, sure, I, you know, I was going to say Logan's other mutant power is um, regeneration. Yeah, and so, and I can see how having an extremely quick working mm-hmm. immune system would would be a thing. Well, yeah, most like mammals don't regenerate like that, but like reptiles can. Sure. Right? You a lizard can grow. It's slower slower speed, but yeah. yeah. Now we've talked um, about, you know, using things like gene therapy for regenerative medicine, so that mm-hmm. kind of fits in with that. Right. So I I think this is uh that kind of thing is not so much beyond the realm of possibility, but the other thing I want to talk about with X-Men uh-huh. and genetics is this idea that um, all of these powers tend to be presented as if they're created by a single mutation? Right. It's called the X gene within the within the canon. Yeah, it, it, it is a single gene, and depending on which bit of media of the X Men you are consuming, sometimes it's 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 an on or off option, mm-hmm. which right. is not how right. you genes can actually do. you can actually be treated to a point where your your mutant ability is turned off, right? As is seen in I think the third of the X Men films that I never saw. Oh, but anyway, uh, yeah, well, I mean like, the idea that this one gene could have essentially unlimited expressions is kind of interesting. I can see that by, say, um, either genetic engineering, so top-down control of your DNA sequence, or millions of years of evolution, maybe we could get bone claws that right. shoot out of our hands. You don't think but we're ever going to get to the point where we can teleport? The, the bone claws, no. Bam. But the bone <laughs> claws that shoot out of your hand would not be one mutation. Right, right. The, the problem is... It, it's a it's a misunderstanding of what mutations look like when they happen. Sure, you, you don't a mutation doesn't cause a like complex, fully formed working apparatus that was not previously there. You, you can you know it, mutations that turn into wings probably start as little tiny flaps. Sure, and mm-hmm. have to be amplified over generations of, yeah. of success. It, it more causes you know your your earlobe to be directly connected or a little bit floppy when where yeah. it matches up with your head and and you know which is a great mutant power but <laughs> floppy ear floppy ear yeah, that is a good one that was one of my favorite like eighth tier x-men floppy ear that was one of the lesser known powers of omega red yeah floppy ear so anyway uh getting back into this discussion you know the there's also a confusion about how mutations are passed on and that if a mutation is passed on, it must therefore be beneficial to whatever creature has that mutation. But because we're talking about very complex systems, sometimes that mutation can go along with other traits that are advantageous. The mutation itself may or may not be. It might not be a problem, but it might not necessarily be advantageous. So it's not that, you know, whatever creature currently exists in its, uh, in, you know, the, like the, the if you were to take a representative animal from any species and say, this is an example of all the traits that are the most advantageous for this animal because this animal is alive. Therefore, 
it has all the traits that were beneficial. That's that's facetious. Or, you know, it's not not true at all. I mean, no. it's it's much more complicated than that. So when you hear about mutations and mutations being passed along, sometimes they are beneficial, and sometimes that's exactly the reason why the creatures that are alive now share that particular mutation. It's because it was one that gave them an advantage in whatever ecosystem they evolved in. But other ones, you know, it's just they happen to piggyback on with traits that were very advantageous for survival, and that's why they, they too have survived, those mutations. But it's complicated stuff. Like you said, it's not just one thing that manifests itself immediately in fully formed you know, yeah. uh, uh, format. You know, things like like uh, birds. Now we essentially understand to be the evolutionary descendant of dinosaurs. They actually like they are dinosaurs, yeah, right? In terms right. of the it's, phylogenetic tree. But it's one of those things where it took a long time for us to figure that out, right? It was like you know we we didn't have. That direct, that, that understanding of that, that line of descent until relatively recently. And now um, they think the T-Rex had feathers, don't they? Yeah, a lot of yeah. dinosaurs had feathers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which totally changes my view of what dinosaurs should look like, you know, based upon the way I learned about them when I was a kid. Of course, when I was a kid, it was shortly after the dinosaurs had died out. <laughs> so... Uh, I feel like we've strayed a little bit. Maybe. Okay, so we, we were talking about X-Men in terms of... Uh, Mutations. Well, mutations and sort of top-down control. Of sure, yeah. sure. So. Maybe what the X gene does is is set off a whole crazy like nuclear reaction of other changes in human DNA. So maybe, like, maybe that's what it does, like a domino maybe. effect, but not domino the character. We're actually talking about domino the little things that fall over. Correct. Okay. But to bring it back to the real world, yeah. Let, okay. Let's so Wait, so let's pull. say X Men's not the real world. Yeah. So okay. we're we're ruling out the shooting fire, shooting cold stuff like that. But sure. saying okay, maybe you could have bone claws or whatever. Um, is it ethical? Is it ethical to voluntarily mess with our genes if we have the power to do it? It's a good question. I mean, uh, it really all depends upon your definition of what ethics are, I think. I mean, and for, also well, what messing with. And means. also and yeah. also whether or not the person who's getting messed with is doing so voluntarily. That clearly would have a huge impact. If it's yeah. because if you're talking about, you know, making choices for an unborn child, then you are making determinations that are going to affect that child's life and the child has no say in the matter. But then if you're leaving it all up to just biology, the child really doesn't have a say in the matter of what of they what inherit it gets either anyway. Way. Right. So is it better to leave it up to chance? Is it better to make determinations? And if it's better to make determinations, how far should that go? I believe there was a court case relatively recently in the UK where um, one of the uh, associations of, of the deaf got together and, and protested a, a bill that had gone through the government that said that um, certain kinds of genetic testing and certain kinds of genetic selection are okay. Like, for example, testing to, to make sure that your child is of hearing. And they were like, why can't deaf parents choose to have a deaf child? Well, and and to be fair, I mean, the deaf culture is a culture. There Absolutely. Is, there yeah, is yeah. an no, entire no, no. deaf community. And anyone who has not ever interacted with anyone who, who actually is part of the deaf community, just because you're deaf does not necessarily mean you are in the deaf community. Right. right? But they have a very strong sense of identity. And they, you know, that's a... That's part of their culture. It's something that they value. And well, to discount it is pretty tough. I mean, that's kind of that's that raises some pretty tough questions. Yeah. If you have your own language, you've definitely got something going on. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. And, um, and you know, and, and at a certain point, who is, you know, what what kind of lawmaking bodies are allowed to legislate that? To legislate that. Yeah, and, yeah. and at what point is it bad for well, people to decide at what, what point their do you, child gets? At what point yeah. do you have a government decide what it is that makes a person and then says anything that doesn't fit this definition isn't a person yeah, and therefore that, they don't that's, get that's rights. That's getting into terrifying Third Reich style. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, what I was going to say is that uh, all this makes me feel creepy. And one reason is that <laughs> at the at the far end of the scale, I mean, we've all decided that eugenics is bad. Yes. But uh, so how close is this to eugenics? That's a good question. And I think one thing we can be thankful for right now is that we've got plenty of time to ask those questions and to come to some conclusions. Obviously, we can't draw any right now, or at least I'm, I'm not prepared to. Mm-hmm. This is a complicated issue that I think about that. You know, we're so far away right now, technologically speaking and medically speaking, that we've got time to have these discussions. And just to be clear, we are in in these ethical considerations. We're talking about voluntary changes. We're yeah. not talking about stuff you would need to save your life or or whatever the case might be to cure a deadly disease. Yeah, we're talking about things like being able to determine if your kid is going to uh, have a genetic predisposition to being athletic, that sort of stuff, or, you know, even more subtle changes in, in or, or uh, influences in a child's genetic makeup. So, uh, again, we're not really there at this point, but it is yeah, definitely right. conversations that are interesting and worth having. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and working towards a point where we can use gene therapy to help cure diseases without also causing cancer on the side. That would be good. Yeah. Yeah. Those, that's always Preferable. a good goal. Yeah. So, um, all right. Well, anyway, that kind of wraps up our, our conversation. Uh, we're probably going to talk a lot more about X-Men as soon as we sign off here <laughs> um, and possibly then move on to other pantheons within the Marvel Universe. Uh, we'll see. Uh, but in the meantime, I suggest for all of you guys out there listening, if you want to be involved in our conversation, go to fwthinking.com. That's the website where we've got everything. The podcasts, the blog posts, the video series, links to other articles that talk about the same sort of concepts that we're talking about here that go into greater detail. You're going to find a lot of awesome information there. And we look forward to hearing from you. We will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. 
Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe ventilation system exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today.